You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number two. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960 The Fan coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio at the bottom of the hour. Charles Davis from the NFL on CBS. Tee up what we saw on Saturday and Sunday in Super Wild Card Weekend. Super Wild Card Weekend. Just like that. And we'll preview the Cowboys and Bucks. We'll ask Charles, too. What does that mean that Lamar Jackson didn't even travel with the Ravens last night to the playoff game? I don't like those vibes. Yeah, it's not ideal. Not ideal at all. It's really too bad to see. Yeah. It's too bad. Uh, we're still taking your text messages, 960-960. That final 437 in Dallas on Saturday afternoon was more stressful than blank. We'll read those throughout the program. But right now on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, he is the voice of the Nashville Predators. We say good morning to Pete Weber. Pete, how are you? I'm doing great. I've always wanted to be on a pizza hotline. And yeah, now, like a, finally, I've realized my dream. Uh, Pete, I from, from having the pleasure of interviewing you a few times in the past, uh, you're from the Buffalo area, correct? I lived there for 20 years. Yeah. Yes. So yesterday was a nail-biting afternoon for me. Yeah, um, <laughs> you're very torn uh, when it's uh, the Sabres involved, too. I have to ask you, because you just talked about pizza, yeah. is deep-frying the pepperoni one of the reasons why Buffalo pizza is so good? That might be one of the reasons. I think the other, uh, when you get right down to it, is simply the love they take for the product and uh, right. the way they put together the product. It's it's absolutely incredible. Uh, and then, you know, what we always had, <clears throat> excuse me, on uh, Bill's media weeks on Wednesdays, <clears throat> when the coaches would do the conference call with both sides, we would have an interesting thing. Hank Bullock <clears throat> mixed up the whole Buffalo thing, trying to become very local. He would dip his pizza and eat his wings plain. So he would dip his pizza in the blue cheese and then take it on after the wings. The, the, the you know glorious media spread we put out on Wednesdays. Interesting. Uh, where was your go-to spot for wings in Buffalo? Gabriel's Gate. Okay. In the Allentown section of town. You did not hesitate at all on that, Pete. No, I didn't. No. <laughs> They take their wings seriously in Buffalo. Yes, uh, they do. And, and so does Pete Weber. I was telling uh, my co-host Matt here, uh, for those of us who haven't had the pleasure to watch a game in Nashville, and it's a super fun atmosphere, I, it's, it's not a traditional hockey market, Pete, but I think they just do a great job no. of putting on the game and now how it's supposed to be. Sports is entertainment, and I think Nashville is one of the few spots in the NHL that kind of really personifies that. Yeah, I think we had people <clears throat> take a trip with the team the first year to Toronto, and they saw Maple Leaf Gardens was more like a church. And then comparing that to even the early days, of, it wasn't known as Bridgestone Arena yet at that point in time, but how much more there was uh, just some built-in electricity in Nashville hockey. Pete? Uh, I want to ask you about the Predators season as a whole here. Uh, right now, they're sitting seven points out of the playoffs, but they do have a handful of games in hand. It feels like it's been a little bit of a step back maybe for Nashville this year, but when you had so many guys having career seasons last year, it's hard to envision yes. being able to roll that back. I guess just what have you made of, of this follow-up season to last year's um, outstanding campaign? Well, what I remember most, and it really comes down to this, I think, 
you're, uh, this is the analytics era, right? And they always have this one huge word there, mm. sustainability. Can you su- sustain that success rate? And it's unlikely to be repeatable. So I think that's what has happened to this year's team. You had two guys have career years last year, Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne. And while Philip is online to almost repeat what he did last year, Matt Duchesne is not. And I think that has been huge for the club. And then there's guys like Tanner Janot, who was a serious candidate for the Calder Trophy, I thought, last year. Mm -hmm. And he's been – if he leads the league – if you will, in this new category, SB, snake bitten. It's been incredible how he can't convert uh, chances that last year he buried. That's a fun analytic. We'll have to start tracking that one up here in town as well. Um, <laughs> uh, I did want to ask you about Matt Duchesne. He did an interview recently with uh, Christine Simpson uh, in sports of sports mm-hmm. in Toronto and talked about wanting to play until he's 40. He's 32 right now. He's signed for four more seasons. Yeah. Could you see Matt Duchesne playing until he's 40? If he scores, yes, absolutely I could. What are, what are some of the keys in his game that make you think that there's some longevity there? Playing to 40 is no easy task, especially in today's NHL. No. No, not today's NHL for certain. I mean, I, I marvel at even seeing, you know, Craig Anderson playing goal uh, <laughs> in this uh, era. This era. Uh, in goal right now. So, yeah, the now I saw, I interviewed regularly Gordy Howe when he was with the Hartford Whalers. And here he was playing until age 51. I think one one thing there to answer your question would be just outstanding genes. And I'm not talking about ooh-la-la Sassoon, but outstanding genes that allowed him to do that. And, uh, you know, we saw as he passed those along to his son, Mark, Mark made it to 40. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a that was a great uh, contribution uh, to hockey right there. But I, today's game is so fast; nobody has the time to take a breather sort of shift. You know, you, when you look at the shift times that they flash up on TV all the time now, and see how long some guys are out there, that's you know burning yourself out. I think. So let's see uh, what happens as Matt Duchesne tries to play through age forty. That's going to be a challenge to be certain, but he realizes that. And uh, the key to it is going to be to find some way of maintaining a level of productivity uh, as you go on into these uh, upper reaches. And what am I talking about, guys being old? I'm old, but we're talking about guys in the 40s. Pete Weber, the voice of the Nashville Predators, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Uh, Pete, what's in the secret sauce in Nashville that they're able to produce all these great defensemen? Well, I think it's going to have to be the scouts, first of all. And uh, David Boyle started that tradition while general manager of the Washington Capitals, where his leading scorers inevitably were the defensemen. And now you don't have Al Al Iafredis all over the place to go out and pick up. But that's been huge. But the big thing here, I think, really has been the tradition of goaltending. And that goes back to uh, Thomas Volkun, who really enjoyed his battles. And he had battles, believe you me, with Jerome McGinley. I can recall one night, particularly in the Saddle Dome, where there was uh, an all-out, uh, kind of like they said in uh, Rocky II, watch out for World War III, uh, because that's the way those battles went. But Thomas Volkun, Pekka Rene, and, and now UC Saros, 
uh, there seems to be a formula, and Calgary knows well, if you get a finished goaltender, you can be set quite some time. But uh, I think that has been the bigger part of it all. Can you tell us a little bit about Yuso Parsonen, who's currently centering that top line? Um, someone yeah. who a, a lot of fans who are watching tonight's game might not know who number 75 is skating around between Matt Duchesne and Philip Forsberg. Well, he was uh, in his draft year. He was uh, sick much of it. He wasn't able to participate fully. And that, I think, allowed him to slip through the cracks and finally was picked by the Predators. And comes over, he's a big kid, he's strong, <clears throat> very aware. He does a heck of a job setting the puck up for people like Philip Forsberg. I think that's a reason why they're together on that line. And he just doesn't stop for anything. He could be, uh, let's see, he could be, I'm not going to say a Milan Lucic, mm. but I'm going to say he could, he's that strong, and, uh, but much quicker. It's an interesting kind of time of the year. January 16th, we're looking at the deadline uh, six-ish, seven-ish weeks away. Do you have a feeling yeah. on, on what the Predators might have in mind for the direction they want to go around then, or is it going to be largely based on these next couple of weeks? As, as we talked about, they're seven points out of a playoff spot. I think it will be based on the next couple of weeks. and I think that you know the former <clears throat> assistant general manager to Cliff Fletcher in the early days in Calgary, David Boyle, is going to keep his mind absolutely open on this. And I'll tell you one thing. I never can really figure out what David's going to do next. Hmm. I did not in January, rather June, late June of 19 or 2016, that all of a sudden David Boyle was going to send Shea Weber to Montreal for P.K. Subban. But it did indeed happen. So he is open to all ideas. I know PK uh, was honored in Montreal, but uh, probably going to be honored in, in Nashville as well. What is that going to be like? How are the fans going to remember his time there? Uh, I think it's probably going to be remembered as a guy who came to town and helped take the team to the cup final for its first. They hope it's, it's the first trip and that there might be additional ones the following June. Uh, so he had a huge impact with the youth in this town, uh, did a program with the police department in getting kids into hockey games and doing it through the police. And, and that's an intriguing concept because, you know, when I was a kid, I wasn't one who wanted to flock to the policemen that were in my neighborhood. But if they're going to give me hockey tickets, there's a chance I just might. Uh, I also wanted to ask you one more, uh, just a, a little bit of a local note. And it's about Mark Jankowski, the former first-round uh, yes. pick of the Calgary Flames. He, he did score in the prior meeting between these two clubs as well. But how's the season been for number 17 for the Preds? Well, number one, it's been difficult for him to get in a lineup all the time. But he's when he's been in there, he's made good contributions. Uh, very admirable person, I think. Uh, I like talking with him. And I like to see guys that I like to talk with getting their chance in the lineup. Um, Pete, before I let you go, I, I wanted to get your uh, your thoughts, uh, what you remember of that legendary Matthew Kachuk between the legs goal uh, that happened against the Predators. That was one of the most yes. incredible highlights. Like, did, did you did you did it take you a second to realize what happened? Did you have to wait for the replay? Did you see it in real time? Uh, take us back through that Matthew Kachuk goal of the year candidate way back when. From 2019. Well, I pretty much remember it in real time. And the thing that was with all of that 
how time was running down in the game. Uh, you talk about timely goals, timely saves. Uh, that was pretty darn timely, I got to tell you. And Kachuk doing that, it reminded me most of a, a play that Yarmer uh, Yager pulled against the Predators in the, this franchise's early years. Pete Weber is the voice of the Nashville Predators. Pete, thanks for taking time out this morning. Enjoy the game tonight. Glad to do it. Thank you for letting me in to the pizza studios. And uh, <laughs> let's let's take a trip together sometime to Buffalo. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I will make sure you get to, to Gabriel's Gate, okay? All right. Uh, uh, that that absolutely sounds fantastic. Thanks for this, Pete. I've taken Paul Holmgren there. Might as well take you guys. All right. Uh, we're in. We're in. Those aren't the same, but yeah, we're in. We're in. We're in. Thanks, Pete. You got it, guys. Thank you. And there's uh, Pete Weber brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Dine in, pick up, or have your game day special delivered. Find out why Atlas Pizza is a 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner, 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast, or call 403-248-3344. What's your memories of that Kachuk goal? Um, I was flabbergasted, I think would have been the word. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty incredible. And that game itself was an absolute roller coaster. Wasn't if I'm not mistaken, it was a six five final score. It was good memory. Um, and he scores that goal with what half second left? One point six. One point six in overtime. And it's uh, and it's such a dumb play because you should never be able to fire the puck through your legs from that spot on the ice and have any sort of velocity on it. But and. It's one of those things where you're like, did he really need to? Did he really need to? And the answer is yes. He actually did need to kind of throw between his legs to score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Flabbergasted. Um, nine sixty nine sixty. name and location. Taking your text messages all morning. Uh, the final 437 in Dallas on Saturday afternoon was more stressful than blank. Uh, Doug from Innisfail. Uh, it's more stressful than going to the doctor after a great one-night stand. That is oh. stressful. That has to be. I, I would assume so. Yeah, yeah. That, that feels like it's going to be real stressful for you. Um, Frank and Arbor Lake, uh, more stressful than your wife telling you she's late, and I'm not talking about the time either. Oh. I kind of deciphered that, Frank, <laughs> but thank you. Doubled down on that one. Had to be. Yeah. Um... Ryan from Okotoks, uh, the loss was more stressful than the final game of the Dallas Calgary series last season. Really? Even in overtime? I don't know if I agree with that, but by all means, a regular season game in January, but sure. Uh, Against a team that you're not really in a race with because they're going to win the Central Division, but sure. um, Scott, in Yorktown, it's more stressful than trying to hold a 2-1 lead against Connor McDavid. That can be stressful. That is no fun. No especially because he's out there for 75% of the time. that. Um, and Chris doing like yeoman's work out there. We appreciate it. This was more stressful than driving skip the dishes around the city listening to the hockey game with all these bad drivers out there. Oh, careful. It is. Uh, it can be a bit of a battlefield out there. I am. Um, I've told you before, George, I, I dislike a few things in life. Sitting in traffic is one of them. Yep. Confetti's another. Mm-hmm. When I drop something and I have to bend over and pick it up, that's definitely the third one. Yep. Um, and I think that the drivers in Calgary contribute to that. Uh, Byron in Calgary, more stressful than trying to hold something in while you're stuck in traffic for 10 minutes. <laughs> he did use to work uh, turtling. <laughs> he did. Prairie dog? Um, 
L- London, Linden, Linden, an injury. Uh, almost as stressful as passing that kidney stone a few years ago. Almost. That's tough. Never had to. Hope I don't. I've done it. I've had once. And uh, yeah, that anticipation of eventually coming up is not the best. Yeah, that's not the <laughs> yes. best. Yes. <laughs> not the best. Uh, more stressful than watching Tom Brady with the ball under two minutes left tonight to send my Cowboys home. That could be stressful. Maddie was stressing last night for Cincinnati Bengals. I was stressing that there was going to be a flag on the field as Sam Hubbard, the beautiful big old man of he is, ran 98 yards for the score. Um, yeah, uh, that was an incredible play. And a lot of mismanagement by the Ravens in that matchup hate last to night. See it. I hate to see it. You hate to see I it. I hate when the Ravens shoot themselves in the foot. It's going to be super sexy, though, next week when the Bills and Bengals play. It's no super wild, super wild card. Now, they say that divisional round's the best football of the year. And even the Eagles and Giants game is super interesting because they're division foes. 100%. That's going to be super fun. Is it wild that, well, given the playoff format of the NFL, not really, but that was the first playoff meeting between the Ravens and the Bengals? Yeah, that is crazy. But the Bengals have been a doormat for so many years because of the Bengals. Yeah, they were the Bungles. Yeah, of course. For years. Of course. Until they drafted Joe Burrow, pretty much. Yeah. There was like a glimmer of hope when A.J. Green was there, but there was never really anything around him. And remember the criticism they took for taking Joe Burrow? Oh, he's only a one-year wonder in college. That guy, they shouldn't have taken him. And now he's one of the best quarterbacks in the National Football League. Love watching him and Jamar Chase play. Together. Jamar Chase is such a stud. Uh, there's so many NFL storylines to get to. Charles Davis, the NFL on CBS. We got to get to him in the eight o'clock hour. Our man, the color analyst for the Calgary Flames on Sports at 960, Peter Labardius, will join us. We'll obviously talk, uh, tee up this Preds Flames game with Lou, but he's also a diehard Minnesota Vikings fan, mm-hmm. and we have to ask him about that that loss yesterday. And again, everybody was saying all year the Minnesota Vikings are the most fraudulent team in the NFL, and then they got knocked out yesterday by the New York Football Giants. Still lots to come. It's the big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. The Flames game night. It's the big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio at the top of the hour. More on that Flames just nail-biting 6-5 win Saturday afternoon in Dallas. Still taking your text messages, 960-960. That final 437 in Dallas on Saturday was more stressful than blank. And Peter Labardius, Flames color analyst for us right here on The Fan, will join us at 830, talk about Calgary, and of course, his Minnesota Vikings who went down yesterday to the New York football giants. But right now to talk about super wild card weekend on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We say good morning to Charles Davis, NFL analyst for CBS Sports. Charles, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Good morning to you guys. And that certainly sounded stressful to me, almost like me taking any sort of final in college. Yeah. So. Um, well, the Flames had a uh, a five-goal lead, Charles, and they were up 6-1. And Dallas scored to make it 6-5 with 4.37 to go in the third period. And Calgary That's held on to the 6-5 win. Yeah, that's almost unheard of in the NHL. Yes. I mean, five goal lead like that, it usually doesn't get to be <laughs> stressful. No. You know, it it got super stressful. I got I got to ask you about this because I thought there's there's so much to to dive into with the games uh, over the weekend. But the one thing I wanted to yeah. kind of come out of the gate with you was this was 
Are we making too much of the fact that Lamar Jackson didn't travel with his team to Cincinnati, or it really isn't that big of a deal? I'd say ordinarily it's not that big of a deal, but you've got so many things swirling around that I don't think that it's um, I don't think that it's wrong, for lack of a better word, that it's a discussion point. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because I think that for, I think for the most part we do try and make it you know like a lot of times you know let's face it we have to have filler to get ready for a game during the week because it's a long week, right? So we come up with everything that's possible. You know, hey, I hear they're going to wear. All purple this week. What? They're, oh, wow. You know, and it becomes a topic, right? I mean, it's just kind of how it goes. But Lamar Jackson's been on the sidelines for their games this year when he's been hurt. Him to not travel, mm. that's a little bit out of the norm. Then you kick in the contract situation. Then you kick in Michael Vick, who is a quarterback who played with a similar style, obviously, to the, the Lamar Jackson plays with, saying, hey, put a brace on it. You can go. You see how it starts to snowball? I think in most cases, it's a non-topic. But I think it's one of those ones where I kind of arched an eyebrow and went, hmm, that's interesting. Because hmm. I saw Lamar Jackson on the sidelines wearing goggles <laughs> in a recent game. Why wouldn't he make the trip to Cincinnati and be with his teammates? What's going on here? So I think that it's something that definitely can be discussed. I'm sure Baltimore would downplay it. But I think J.K. Dobbins, their star running back, kind of escalated things a little bit yesterday, saying if we'd had Lamar, we would have won and took a pretty good shot at his backup, Tyler Huntley, who happens to be one of Lamar's best friends. So this is a very interesting dynamic going on now. Do you think he's played his last game as a Raven? I don't. I keep hearing that, and I know that some some pretty reputable people have talked about that and, and you know when this swirls around. But here's the thing. As great a quarterback and player – as Lamar Jackson is, how many teams in the league are going to commit full on to playing offense the way you have to play it with Lamar? Hmm. Like, like the Ravens' offense is fairly for the NFL; it's fairly unique. Right? Okay, you can't just plug people in and, and run that same style of offense. You have to build people around it. You have to have that mindset, that play calling. Everything has to go into it to maximize what you get out of Lamar Jackson and how he plays. That's not going to work everywhere. And when I say not going to work, meaning are you going to commit to it? Are you going to build your team around it? And the last three seasons have not helped for this reason. How many games has he missed each year down the stretch? Mm. That's the problem. Okay. Quarterbacks are going to miss games, but if you're missing games because your legs are hurt, and what is your number one stock in trade? Your legs. That makes it even more difficult to commit fully to it. So I think that Baltimore is the best place for him. John Harbaugh, head coach, committed fully to it. Greg Roman, offensive coordinator, although you hear rumblings about that. We'll see. I just don't know how many teams are going to be willing to commit to that, especially at the price tag I know that Lamar Jackson is seeking. Charles, what did you think of the the late game time management there by the Ravens? Uh, they had a one oh three left, get the first down with J.K. Dobbins, yeah, and then thirty seconds burns off the clock. They got two timeouts. Yeah. The the one thing that struck me, I don't know if it struck you, like the Ravens don't do mistakes like that. They're very analytically no. savvy. They're a smart team. John Harbaugh is yeah. an excellent coach. It's just I was shocked on how disorganized they looked at the end of the game because that's just not the Ravens to me. Yeah, and you know it's it's, it's fun to use the word disorganized. And I think that was my first thought, too. But when I reflect back and I was doing it during the game, 
they didn't feel disorganized. It felt like that was their plan, and that's what threw me. It's almost like they were like, listen, we're going to go down and either tie or win this game right here, give them zero chance of coming back. But I can't remember, I think Chris Collinsworth, or it might have been Mike Tirico, pointed out, okay, you remember the time that they lost before? <laughs> now there's only eight seconds left. So instead of being able to make a throw and then come back and make another one, you're right on that borderline, like, the ball's got to go into the end zone now. Like, you can't just pick up something, have another throw, because you wasted all that time before, or you didn't utilize all that time before. So it was a very strange thing, because I didn't see them disorganized. I saw them not even, like, like we were all on the edge of our seats, and I came off my couch like, um, you might want to hustle a little bit here. <laughs> and you didn't really see much of that. You saw one guy race into the huddle to bring the play, but there wasn't a lot else. So it was a very strange mix because your point from before is the one I think we really need to focus on. The Ravens are at the forefront of this analytics thing. The Ravens have been organized and, and really well coached for a long time under Harbaugh and crew. That seemed a little bit strange that they wouldn't have gone a little bit quicker to give themselves more opportunities down the stretch. Charles, speaking of disorganized, uh, Mike McDaniel talking to the media after the yeah. Dolphins fell to the Bills talked about some miscommunications on the sideline on their final drive, which uh, ended up not going their way, obviously. They fall to the Bills. Yeah. Just a thought on what we saw from the Dolphins. is They were able to keep it close, but disorganization at the end cost them. Yeah, I, I, when he says, you know, miscommunication, he calls the plays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm like, well, what's being miscommunicated? What I think it is more than anything, took too darn long. Right? Took too long to call plays. Mm -hmm. That's what it looked like to me from watching the ball game. Get the plays in. You know, you've got a third-string quarterback who's not super experienced. you got to move it along. It felt to me like that he was really, really diving in on, you know, being analytical about what play to call. And it just took too long. So, so they can talk about miscommunication, and they can probably sit me down and teach me what, what would they mean by that, which I'd love to do because I'd love to be educated on it, just like all of us. But I come back to the head coach is the play caller. He's running the offense. He's in control of all of that. It just seemed to me that they just took too long in, in everything that they were doing. On the other side of it, the Bills do get the win. Josh Allen had some good, had some bad. Now he'll have to yeah. face the Cincinnati Bengals. And really, when you look at both these teams, they got the victory, but it wasn't necessarily the cleanest victory. Uh, just a thought on the Bills and how they can look to improve in this next contest uh, coming up on the weekend. Yeah, I think that, you know, the everything you said about Josh Allen and crew was spot on because I thought there were times where they pressed a little bit. I think they jumped out to that easy lead, and I wonder if mentally they were like, yeah, we can cruise on this team. We're going to be able to get what we want when we want to. And as usually happens in the NFL, it doesn't turn out that way. So I think there were times when, when Josh and the offense thought, I cannot believe we can't get a big play when we want to. Like, we should be able to against this crew. And then they made some mistakes that were uncharacteristic. I think that, that John Brown, who came back to the team, I thought that that was pointed out very well. By, uh, by, by Jim Nance and Tony Romo, that, that he broke off the route on the interception. And Josh, you know, bore the brunt of it. And you saw the frustration from Josh afterwards, pushing the guy, doing stuff. Like, this is stuff you don't need to do. 
All right. Your teammates will always take up for you. But Josh doesn't need to do that. Just go to the bench, come back, keep playing because he is such a dynamic player. He's going to make it up. That's not an issue. I thought that was what was understated in that ball game was Buffalo's defense, especially on third and long. I mean, you guys watched the game. How many times did you watch a third and long and all of a sudden Miami had a first down? You're like, what, what just happened there? Yeah. This is one of the better defenses in the league. This is a good tackling defense. And uncharacteristically, there were third and 10, third and 12. There's a third and 19. And they got them. And that was very strange for me watching. Buffalo had a chance to choke that game out multiple times. And I know we focus on the offense, but I thought the defense did their share in keeping Miami in it, too. Because Skyler Thompson, as a quarterback, very game, very determined. You admire his grit. That's where it, has, that's where it really stops. Like, they, they let him make some plays that just never should have been made. So that's where I, that's where I thought Buffalo, that's what's going to be the issue for them. Can they get back to being that defense they're used to being where they're not giving up big plays on third down? Flip it over to Cincinnati. I think, they're in the, I think they've got more to work out this week than Buffalo, mainly because their offensive line is beat to heck. Mm. We knew about the two to start the ball game. We knew that Alex Kaplan, right guard, and Lyle Collins, and right tackle were out. So Max Sharping, who's a former starter for Houston, back up now in Cincinnati starting a right guard. Ahima Denegy, who played a lot of guard last year, has been starting at right tackle. That right side of the line, Baltimore attacked, gave him a lot of trouble. Then you lose Jonah Williams, who's only missed six snaps the entire season at left tackle. He goes down. Jackson Carmen has been, let's, let's just call it what it is, an extreme disappointment. As a second-round pick last year, they expected him to be a starter. They don't want to put him on the field. And he had to go in and play left tackle. I think all three are going to have to play this week at Buffalo. Okay? If you're Buffalo now, their characteristic on defense is to not blitz. They are much more of a, we rush four, you know, <laughs> we, we play coverage. Well, they change up in this ball game and bring a little extra pressure and put more pressure on that Cincinnati offensive line. I saw Leslie Frazier do it earlier this year when they were down 20-3 to against Baltimore, and he had to change some things up, and they blitzed and brought more people and got themselves back into and ended up winning that game. He's not above doing it, but that's not their normal style. Charles Davis, NFL analyst for CBS Sports, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Might as well ra- uh, wrap up the other game from yesterday. Uh, Vikings and Giants, uh, Minnesota team, a lot of people said were really fraudulent. I-, I guess they were right after yesterday's loss. Just wanted to ask you this, Charles. Is Kirk Cousins taking too many arrows uh, yesterday and this morning? Because really, that defense was such a sieve for Minnesota. They couldn't stop anybody. Dead last against the pass. And we saw it yesterday. They had no answer for Daniel Jones who was running all over the field, making all these plays. Is Kirk Cousins maybe taking the brunt of what what, what should be in Minnesota? We should be criticizing the defense and not really the offense that yeah, ultimately did put up 24 points? <laughs> yeah, the offense and the quarterback are always going to take the extra. And Kirk Cousins' narrative, as you, as you well know, has been written many times. Doesn't play well in prime time, right? Doesn't play well under the bright lights in the bigger ball games. Doesn't do this, doesn't do that. And then when you throw in fourth and eight, your last chance, and it's a four-yard throw, that just, that just inflamed everyone. Yeah. 
to your point, that gave cover for a defense that all year long has not been great. This is not a one-game deal for Minnesota. But what Minnesota has done most of the year is they've been able to come up with plays, right? A key interception, a key takeaway, a key fourth down stop. We had them against the Jets. And I don't know if you remember that game, but down the stretch, they got two fourth down stops, mm. okay, and won the ball game. And what they always said was it's, it, 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 it's points. They, their mantra on defense is points, not yards. In other words, what's your concern? How many points do we give up? Not how many yards do we give up? Well, with the Giants, they chewed them up with yards and they turned it into points and they didn't get the takeaways. They didn't get the fourth down stops. They didn't get the things that they needed at that time. And, that, and that's where the Minnesota defense fell. It was really strange going that game. I think you guys may, know, may have already known this. This was a game that matched two playoff teams who were both minus and points differential for the season. Mm. You know how difficult it is to make the playoffs and be on the minus side of points differential? <laughs> in other words, you've scored less points all year long than your opponents, yet somehow you're in the play. Minnesota won 12 games doing that. The Giants got to the playoffs, and that was really even crazier with them. You know how many, do you know how many, many NFC East games the Giants won this year? Do you guys know the answer to that? NFC East games? They won one. One NFC East in their division, they won one. They won one division game and tied a division game. That was with Washington. Mm-hmm. Beat Washington and tied them. Lost to Dallas twice. Lost to Philadelphia twice. But they're in the playoffs. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so you don't know all the time. But they are a tough, hard-nosed team. They like Minnesota won a lot of games that were one-score games. If you get into the fourth quarter, they felt comfortable there. They've, very, they've taken on the, 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 the image of their head coach because what I've always pointed out is they didn't – this head coach didn't walk into a situation – talk about the Giants and Brian Dayball – where they had already established that they were a gritty fourth quarter team. He established that in his first year there. Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota, his team established, hey, we can win games late and we can find the way. Neither team won the points differential. Now they match up again. Mm-hmm. And what was really strange, the Giants held all their starters out in the last game against the Eagles because they couldn't improve their playoff position, right? Mm-hmm. We spent time with the Giants because we had that game, Giants-Philadelphia. To a person, none of them would go on record because they're not stupid. But to a person, they all said, please let Minnesota be our opponent in the playoffs. Please. That's who we want. That's the team we want. Because we went up there, we played them off their feet, they kicked a 61-yard field goal and got us late. But we know we can beat Minnesota. Unspoken in that is, no one wanted San Francisco. (laughs) I mean, that's just it. No one wants to deal with San Francisco if they can avoid it. And the Giants were like, yeah, if, if, if it breaks out Minnesota, we're there. And they were, and you saw the end result. Got to ask you about the Saturday night game, the wild tilt between the Jags and the Chargers. The Jags come from a 27-point deficit and end up winning the game 31-30. to What did we learn, or, or what did Trevor Lawrence prove to us in that performance? Throws four interceptions, but then comes back and leads the group to a victory. Yeah, he's, he's, not, just a, he's not just a guy that's played on great teams throughout his time frame and looked good doing it. Remember, his high school team, in his time frame in high school, I think he lost two games in high school. 
Okay, and I think he won back-to-back or three state championships or something like that. He goes to Clemson. The only games he ever lost at Clemson, I think we're in the college football playoff. Okay, I think he lost two. All right, then he gets to Jacksonville and gets beat up his first year. Horrific coaching, bad situation, the whole deal. Comes back this year, gets the good coaching, good situation, and starts to blossom, especially over the last half of the season. And that's the Trevor Lawrence that was drafted number one. But, you know, with his hair coming out of his helmet and his nickname of Sunshine, you know, he's always won everywhere. When adversity hits, I don't know I don't know that everyone realizes this is a really tough young man, a tough-minded young man. And I was really intrigued. And I remember sitting on my couch when they scored right before the half, and I thought, uh-oh, I've watched this all year long. And I think we've talked about this before. Teams don't close teams out in the NFL for whatever reason, right? It's rare that you see just a straight, you know, ring post to ring post whooping where somebody beats someone up and that's not, you know, no one gets back into it. Indianapolis gave up, what, a 33-point lead? Minnesota beat them. We can go on and on, right? So we've seen this. I'm like, this is not done. Like, the Chargers had multiple opportunities to get a 30-plus point lead in the first half, and they let them get away. And then they got this 27-7, and Doug Peterson at the half in the halftime interview, chip away, we'll be fine. Just his whole demeanor was calm. He wasn't worried about Trevor throwing the four interceptions. Let's go. And that kid fed off of that, and the team fed off of that, and boy, were they something in the second half. Now, plenty of blame has to go to the Chargers. There's no getting around it. That was one of the all-time El Foldo jobs. There's no, you know, there's no other way to put it. Heck, Kyle Van Noy on their team's call said, said it straight up, we choked. I don't know that there's a better descriptor for it, and I take no pleasure in saying it. But what Jacksonville did by hanging in there, fighting their way back, doing their thing, that was uber impressive. And that young quarterback, yeah, he may look that part of, you know, carefree. But he's a tough, tough kid. And Justin Herbert's the same way with the Chargers. He just didn't play as well in the second half. And then that's that's going to burn him the entire entire offseason. I thought this was his chance to ascend a little bit, right, mm-hmm. to step into that spotlight and show that he's more than just a guy who can throw a pretty pass because he is. He's a really tough, tough kid. But in this case, Trevor Lawrence made his bones in this one. Is Brandon Staley the head coach of the Los, uh, Los Angeles Chargers week one next year, Charles? I feel like he is because we haven't had a move on him already. I really feel like, you know, the emotion of that, I'm sure the ownership is probably telling themselves, take emotion out, let's let it sit for a while, the whole deal. But I'm hearing a lot of support pop up from his players, from within his locker room for him. They were in the play. They almost made the playoffs his first year. They made the playoffs this year. I do think that management will talk to him a little bit about game management and his analytics and some of the stuff that he does that, hey, we might want to scale that back just a tad, big boy. But I really feel like he's going to be there because I feel like the easy reaction is we dump him, we keep moving, blah, blah, blah. Now, there will be other moves made. That's my prediction. Brandon Staley's the head coach, but I would not be surprised if, if within his, his structure – some prominent coaches are not there, and some people are brought in. Because hmm. right now, the focus is on Justin Herbert and offense, and you don't let a talent like that get away without being coached to the nth degree. And that's what they're going to talk about. 
I, I really it would not shock me at all if we look up and see a new offensive structure in place next year. Charles, uh, the week wraps this evening. We got the Buccaneers and the Cowboys. The Cowboys on the road. They're favored by two and a half points. It's been a long time since they've had a road playoff win, but they're going to try and do it against Tom Brady and the Bucks. How are you looking at this game? How are you handicapping this contest tonight? I, I think on a neutral field, Dallas is a better football team. They, they've, they've got, I think, on just about every aspect. Can they run the football? It sounds elementary, doesn't it? But Tyler Smith, the rookie left tackle. Tyron Smith, who came back from injury, moved from left tackle to right tackle. Zach Martin at right guard, who's all pro. And then you move, then there's, there's I think again, Tyler Biotish back at center. Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard run the football. That has been an underbelly of, of Tampa this year. Now, if Vita Vea plays, that's a whole different ball game because that big man mm. fills up a bunch of gaps and makes it tougher for you to run it. But if, if, if Dallas can run the football with consistency, that's that's the key to this ball game for me, because if they can't, Todd Bowles is the head coach and defensive coordinator of the Buccaneers. His forte is exotic blitzes, is pressure, and he's probably got fifteen to twenty new ones drawn up for this game. But you can only get to them if you have the advantage on defense, second and long, third and long. And if that's the case, look out because the last seven games, Dak Prescott's thrown an interception or more in each of the last seven games. That's where things will tilt for Tampa because I do think that Brady's playing the best he's played. I think their offense is as stable as it's been. They're not going to run the football. (laughs) They haven't run it all year. Don't count on them trying to run it in this one. Can they protect him enough so he can throw the ball downfield with a really bad offensive line? I kind of like Tampa at home in this one. I really do. And, you know, so far I I had the Chargers winning at, 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 at the Jaguars on the road. This is going to sound like making an excuse, but anybody with a 27-point lead doesn't feel like I had a bad prediction, does it? No. Um, I, did think, I did think Minnesota would outlast the Giants, but I knew the Giants were more than capable, so I was wrong on that one. Buffalo outlasted Miami. I thought they'd win a little more comfortably, and I did say San Francisco comfortable over Seattle. That one turned out to be, especially in the second half. So we'll see how this all Oh, yeah, I did have Cincinnati beating Baltimore. So I am going with Tampa close over mm. Dallas at home. Is Mike McCarthy coaching for his job tonight? They keep saying no. They keep putting that out there, no. But I, I, I will believe if I say it. I have to say it to believe it. If somehow they get beat and Sean Payton's still sitting there, it's almost irresistible for Jerry Jones. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Charles Davis, NFL analyst, CBS Sports. Charles, great stuff. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the game tonight. I look forward to it. Talk to you guys next week. I look forward to enjoying the game. And next week, do me a favor. Sure. Write this down for us. Okay. I want to hear the best. I want to hear the best replies about what people were thinking with that time frame. And now it's six five. Okay. All right. We'll save them up for you. We'll read you. Right. We'll, we'll grab them for you for next week. Thanks, Charles. I look forward to it. Be good, guys. There he is, Charles Davis, brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Come in and enjoy hockey and football game day specials at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Pickup and delivery also available at Atlas Pizza, 403-248-3344. I feel like Mike McCarthy's, it's, it's his job's on the line tonight. Well, it's, we're... 
Were you saying you think it's a margin of victory thing as well? Like, if they keep it close, do you think he's going to be able to hold on? They're favored mm. by two and a half points here. Like, they're... Yeah, and they had a good season, and they think they can win the Super Bowl. And they're pretty healthy. Yeah. Right? Like, D- Dak's there. They got all their receivers. Zeke's been pretty healthy for most of the season. The offensive line was banged up a little bit. Defense are banged up a little bit. But Micah Parsons got a little banged up in Week yeah, 18. Yeah, he hasn't been but... good the last few games, but yeah. he's still a terror out there. He made the all-pro team. But, no, I, I really do, and, and what Charles just said, because the, the shadow of Sean Payton is out there. It looms on a lot of teams. Yeah, for sure it does. Not Cliff Klingsbury. He's, no, he's, he's out. He's he pieced out, and he's in Thailand. Good for him. Good for him, but um, Sean Payton's an interesting name. And again, Cowboys trying to win their first playoff game on the road since following the 92 season when they beat the Niners in the NFC Championship game. 92 was the last time they won a road playoff game. Wasn't alive. No. That's how long that's been. You weren't even a swimmer back then. No, no, not even a thought at that point. Yeah. That was that was the beginning of the Cowboys dynasty, too. And then the triplets out, with Irvin, Smith, Aikman. They were good. Yeah. They were real good. They were really good. And now they're average. No, they're better than average. It's just they're, again, there's a lot of parallels between the Cowboys and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, they're always yeah. very overrated, and people always think because they're the most popular teams in in both leagues that, you know, the, a lot of people love to root against both of those teams. Well, who were we talking to from Dallas just the other day? Mike Heika? Uh, Mike Heika from uh, the website. And he was telling us, like, they'll be having a losing season, and everyone will be just absolutely hooked on the team. Yeah. No matter what. Doesn't matter. Again... It's they're always fascinating though. That that's what they are. They're they're and their fans are so passionate and they're they're similar to Leafs fans. I would say a hundred percent. And they haven't won anything in in years. Oh, the Leafs haven't won anything since the league was six teams and haven't even been to the Stanley Cup final since, which is incredible. But yeah, the Cowboys are very Toronto Maple Leafs of the NFL. And again, tonight's a very important game. I think for Mike McCarthy and his future as a head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. All right, straight ahead. Uh, we'll talk about that game. Flames uh, barely held on Saturday afternoon in Dallas. Tee up the game against the Predators straight ahead. Taking your text messages, 960-960. The last 437 Saturday afternoon in Dallas was more stressful than blank. I think we'll mix in an Australian Open tennis report oh. with intern Noah. Hooray. I think we'll do that in the 8 o'clock hour. And Peter Labardius, color analyst for the Flames on Sportsnet 960, to wrap up the show. It's the big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan.